Hi, this is Mark from The Highlighter. And Anne with Annotations. And welcome to The Highlighter Podcast. Where we discuss the best articles and podcasts on race, education, and culture. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Highlighter Podcast, and welcome back to you, Mark. I'm so glad to be with you. Likewise. So happy to be here. And how are you doing? Oh, I'm really good because we are talking about a topic this month and probably next month that we both care so passionately about, and that is reading, reading for pleasure, reading education. Reading is believing. <laughs> According to whom? Me. I, I don't know really what it means, but I say it over and over again, and... I really do believe it. I mean, we both deeply believe in reading. Yes, we do. And we found last month when you were we were focusing on college that by the end of the month, we found ourselves focusing on one statistic. So we decided to find a statistic that seemed to sum up what we are going after, a statistic that we are highlighting from an article, <laughs> and really going deep, talking to experts, talking to students, talking to teachers about this one statistic. This is from Common Sense Media, and here it is. In 1984, when we were just little kids, 8% of 13-year-olds and 9% of 12-year-olds say they never or hardly ever read for pleasure. So a little less than 10% of kids and teenagers said they read for, never read for pleasure. Today, 2014, it's 22% and 27%, meaning close to between a fourth and a third of 17-year-olds never read for pleasure or report to never read for pleasure. And I almost wonder if that's higher, that if students don't want to be honest on it, because I would guess, and this is hard to admit, but with my students, it might even be higher. What do you think? I totally agree, and I think that probably many students would even say that reading their phones would be reading for pleasure, mm -hmm. um, so it may even be worse than that. Well, it's really hard because we both love reading for pleasure. I want to first get into the language because I said reading for pleasure, and that was because we actually had a long conversation, reading for pleasure versus having a joy of reading. I'm hoping I'm instilling both. You think one's more important. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great if kids come up to me and they say, I'm really having a great time and a joyful time reading. I totally want everybody to share the same joy that I have for reading. But for me, pleasure reading doesn't necessarily mean that I'm always happy about it or joyous, but that I have a reading identity. I follow lots of books and articles about topics that I care about. And I think that for young people... They don't necessarily have to love it as their number one thing. Maybe they like video games or skateboarding or something else. But I want young people and all people to um, read for pleasure, meaning that they're following a passion that they have. I like that. And I'm curious, you said something about having a reader identity. How was yours developed? How was it cultivated? When do you remember thinking or feeling, I'm a reader? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think for me it came late. And for people who know me as like this 
person who loves reading, they may make an assumption that I loved it since the beginning. What I remember when I was young is that my brother was the reader in the family. Hmm. He was a voracious reader and just, and he still is. And I was sort Hi, of- Hi, brother. Yeah, hello. <laughs> and and the thing is, like, it was, I remember sixth grade summer, lots of time in the summer, and I was playing baseball with my friends, but my friends were also all of a sudden reading a whole lot of horror- Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, Stephen King. And in sixth grade? Six, it really sort of like like it, for yeah, it's example. It's supposed to be like Goosebumps a, time? Yeah, it was a little bit, maybe a little bit. It's pretty mature for sixth yeah, grade. Yeah, it was. But, you know, that summer I do remember reading horror and also about like serial murderers of the 1980s. It was all very bizarre. But then, like so many people... I stopped reading for pleasure and just... In middle school? Middle school, like a lot of people. And I just read to get grades. Mm -hmm. I did what my teachers wanted me to do. And they didn't actually have me read very much up until late, late high school. But... But I do remember becoming a reader again, ironically, through school and college. Um, In the first couple years of college, I figured out that I needed to be an independent reader. I needed to know actually what I was reading. And then I totally got hooked. It was like, whoa, Mm. there's such a big world. And then I found myself just reading books on the side, potentially to procrastinate Uh from the homework that I needed to do. important college skill. But that's when I actually found that I really love to read. Fiction, nonfiction, both? It's it's been both. I think more more nonfiction lately, like you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes it goes back and forth. Were you a reader from the beginning? Yes and no. I have glimpses of me on the couch reading a book in maybe fourth or fifth grade because of some incentive where you're supposed to read as many of these books as you can and you rate them. That's fuzzy, but what is very clear in my memory is being in eighth grade and the school counselor pulled me aside and she said she was very surprised to see that I did not get, I don't remember her language, it was probably proficient or above proficient, that on some state reading test, I didn't perform as high as she thought I would specifically in vocabulary. And she said, over the summer, I want you to read as many high school books as you can. And I took that very seriously. And her advice to me, I I didn't necessarily know exactly what to look for, but I walked into my library and there was one of, you know, those spinning carts, the spinning, (laughs) I don't know how to describe them, but they spin and there's books on them. And it's like greeting card spinning thing, but it's books. A spinning kiosk. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And at the top, it said required high school reading. And I spun it and I grabbed, I think the smallest one, which was night. And I took it home and I read it and was moved like everyone else who reads that book and went back for another and another. And I really actually credit that, I don't even remember her name, but that school counselor for giving me that advice that lit the fire, helped me get a love of reading outside of school, even though it was you know four high school books. Mm-hmm. It was books I was choosing. And there's real power in choosing. Like for you, as a sixth grader, you're reading something you probably actually shouldn't. I think it could have given me nightmares if I did that in sixth grade. But how like rebellious in like the best of ways to find that you yourself can choose what you're going to read. And that is, that's how I got hooked. And it was until today, I love books. They are my escape and where I learn so much. So and, we, uh-huh. And it's like a major thrust of your teaching as well. 
It's become that, yes. And I think both of us, and I can start, but I think actually both of us have a lot of really interesting teacher stories that connect to reading because it's become, for both of us, a focal point of our teaching. I Before where I am now, I've been teaching at the same school for nine years, but before that I taught at Treasure Island Job Corps. Do you know what Job Corps is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did not know before I got the job. And the job I got, I was not qualified for. It was a reading instructor for 16 to 24-year-olds who tested at an elementary reading level. They could not go to their classes in their craft or in their profession. Like, they couldn't go to the carpentry classes until they passed a test showing they were at least a middle school reading level. A lot of pressure put on me, and students did not want to be there. And I had some students that for months I never met. They never showed. And one of them I actually was able to find somewhere else. I sought him out. And I said, you are reading at a third grade reading level. You need my class. And he looked at me and he said, you don't think, I don't know, I can't read? And he walked away and I never saw him again. Yep. And that changed the direction of my teaching. I signed up for the Literacy Specialist Certificate at SF State. I finished that program. And when I came here, even though I really love social studies more than English, and continue to just be a social studies teacher. I did teach both, but I have found my passion is really making reading a part of a non-English class, and maybe even reading for pleasure part of a non-English class. And teachers tend to not know what they're doing in that area. Yeah. What's been your experience with reading and teaching? So I started as a social studies teacher, and really liked to sort of assign lots of interesting reading. And I just noticed right from the beginning, this notion of fake reading. And Mm. I would talk to some of my English teacher colleagues, and they associated rigor in English with assigning a lot of pages Mm -hmm. for homework. And I just fundamentally knew that something was not happening, which mm-hmm. is the reading. Mm-hmm. And then, coincidentally, um, I did shift to become an English teacher mostly, and it actually struck me even more. Mm-hmm. It's like, are we just going to have a whole sham here where re- students are not really reading, and then I think they are, and then I try to – it just really – it made me crazy. And I wanted, I want, I always wanted to be a teacher in an authentic way with real students in a real classroom telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And I did not find that was happening. And you mean students weren't telling the truth? You weren't telling the truth? What? I mean, ultimately, I created the situation of let's all sort of fake it. Let's all act like we read and go through the motions. Right. And I said, fundamentally not. And then I had to choose to see the reality which was not just did students not like to read, but also they weren't reading, they were never pushed to read. And I'm, I'm not even talking about novels. I'm talking about directions. <laughs> you know, I'm talking... Oh, no, you didn't give out those little quizzes where it's like number 20 is like, no, don't but, do any or something like that. No, but what I did find and still believe is that when students, they aren't scared of reading, mm-hmm. when they actually can see that there's a value and that they could draw meaning from reading, there's so much power. They're not dependent on anybody. They can. They have so much more passion for so many more topics, um, even behaviorally in a classroom like ninth graders. Mm. Um, if they know that there's a place that they can actually just, hey, here are the instructions and I'm going to be able to read and I know what it means and I have confidence in that, they can sort of choose their own adventure of school. Yep. Um, so anyway, there's so many reasons why like, I've been totally passionate about reading as an educator for a long time. It doesn't always 
work like we want it to. And I want to make sure we make space for those stories too. A couple years ago, I remember telling you the story of a student that I was working with one-on-one who was the lowest score I've ever seen working with students. He was at a first grade reading level. And he, I had so many questions. How did you get to high school? And he was very good at hiding. He missed just enough classes that he didn't get on the attendance list. He sat in the right place and didn't make eye contact. And he admitted to me he was good at listening to those around him and to the teacher and that he could basically piece together what he was supposed to be reading. So we started working together and he got all the way to the third grade reading level in like six weeks. Like when you're that far behind, you actually can make progress pretty fast with one-on-one intervention. And then he stopped coming to school. And I saw him at a bus stop in the middle of the day because I was part-time and I pulled over and I'm like, where have you been? And he avoided my eyes. He said something about his brothers in prison and um, something about new shoes and being fed up wearing the same shoes. And I just felt like between the lines he was telling me, I'm selling drugs and this is my path and school's not for me. And I was so heartbroken. And he should never have been unnoticed all the way to high school with that low of a reading level. And I think that the system failed him. It's so sad and heartbreaking and very common. I mean, the average ninth grader, at least in um, the places that I've worked at, generally, what is the average? It's like sixth or seventh grade level, right? So the average situation at that point is already being several grades sort of behind. And the hardest part is that because everybody is sort of behind, not just the students, but the teachers themselves, I believe, might think that m- maybe it's, it's normal and that they're actually on grade level. Right. I, I see some of that, but I also see a lot of teachers who know students are behind. They just don't know what to do about it. Right. I don't think it's actually taught. I, was, I actually had one class that focused on reading education, thankfully. Did you have any classes in your teacher instruction specifically on teaching reading? Zero. Yeah, this was part of the, my master's to get social studies education master's. I don't think it was actually part of my credential program. Yeah, so if I'm a middle school or high school teacher and I know that reading, even if it's going well, is going to sort of be much slower mm-hmm. than a video or an activity to like sort of... Um, or lecturing yeah. to get information across. Yeah, and if I don't totally believe that I know how to teach the reading or mm-hmm. the content through the reading... I can totally see why you wouldn't do it at all. Yep. Because the kids are going to hate it anyway. And I want to do things that the kids like. And or even those who want to assign reading and assign reading, but they don't actually teach how to read what they assign. You have the students that already know how to read it, reading it, and getting better at reading, and the students that don't, not reading it, and staying the same. If the students that came in freshman year at a sixth grade reading level graduated at a ninth grade reading level, meaning they grew one year each year, I actually wouldn't be too nervous for them. Mm-hmm. But what I tend to see is they started a sixth or seventh grade reading level and they graduated a seventh or eighth grade reading level. Yeah. They're not even growing one year. And often their peers with more skills have the potential to grow more than a year in reading level in a year. And they're falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And teachers are not to blame. They actually don't know what to do. Yeah. And both of us are sought out. It's not part of our, my job anymore, and I don't think it's the official part of your job, but we're both sought out. How do I teach reading 
in high school. So we actually would love to be able to say, go listen to our podcast for the month of April and May in 2018, because we're going to answer a lot of those questions. They're so important, not just for teachers, but for parents, aunts, uncles, anybody working pre-K up to college wondering about reading education. Yeah, I'm really excited about what's in store and some of the reporting that we might be doing over the next month or so. Should we start talking even about maybe our flagship article and podcast episode? Please. Well, I'll start off. I'm really excited because the uh, article of the month, or at least to start us off, is by Joan Kernan Cohn, and the title is Appearing Acts, Creating Readers in a High School English Class. And I reread this article. It's by a teacher who is now retired over in the East Bay. And she basically talks about how in her English classes, she built readers and a joy of reading. And this was an article I actually read a long time ago in my own teacher prep program, even before I knew I was going to become a reading teacher. And I was going through my hard drive and I found it and it was like reading it for the first time Mm -hmm. again. Um, I looked forward to everybody being able to read it and I'm hoping to get some teachers to read it and talk about it live on the show. That'll be so exciting. English teachers in a Socratic, they're going to steal the show. It's going to be amazing. If possible, I know that she's retired, but Joan Cohn, if you're out there and listening, (laughs) I would like to, I'd like to interview you too. I'm going to try to find you and invite you to be on the show. Um, I think it's going to happen. I hope so. I feel very confident. Yeah. What should we be listening to at least here at the beginning of the month? So what I'm going to start off recommending is on the podcast called Strangers, and I actually started listening to this because Wendy recommended it in episode, I think, 31 last month. So thank you, Wendy. I was listening, and it's called The Teacher Who Couldn't Read. And the focus I want people to pay attention to is how do students get away with not reading and the fake reading strategies and the lack of hope that they can read as the motivation for fake reading, not laziness, not disinterestedness or a desire to not read, but actually a fear that they can't, that that's some gene they weren't born with. That student I talked about, he actually said that to me. He said he thought he couldn't read because um, of something he was born with. And so he avoided it. And this man avoided it all the way to being a high school social studies teacher, still couldn't read. The exciting thing is I already have it lined up, so hopefully it won't <laughs> fall through, but I'm interviewing him. Oh, you I'll get, be you're inter- getting him on the show? I am. So I will be interviewing the teacher who couldn't read on the show, and we're going to talk about what has happened since he learned to read at 48. Wow, 48. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited to share his story, but you can first check it out on Strangers and look for an update here on the Highlighter Podcast. Yeah. And that's just a couple of ideas for what's coming up. We also want to ask the listeners, you know, what you want us to go and report on. But what are are our our other ideas for the month? Well, I have two or three more that I'm playing with. And so I can't make any promises. But one is it looks like I will be interviewing the head of elementary education, Department of Elementary Education at SF State, who also used to run the reading specialist certificate program I was a part of, mm-hmm. Dr. Arcy, and she and I will talk about what secondary teachers could be doing in particular, because I think, again, we want this to feel like a professional development for teachers who really want to know how to do this work. And she, 
Her life's work is teaching teachers how to do this. And so I'm really excited to get on and talk about it with her because she is so wise when it comes to reading education and she cares deeply about the students, which is where it all starts. Cool. So that's one. And then another one is something that I hope we do every month, which is include student voice. This is a little tricky. I don't know if I can pull it off, but I'm hoping to get a student on who can talk about what it is like being a non-reader or not a confident reader and talk some about their reading history and their story and maybe let others hear that if I was this person's intervention reading specialist, what I would do and say with that student to get them started on a different path. Because I think, again, for more experienced, especially English teachers, they usually know the struggling readers. It's a question of what next. Mm -hmm. And so I want to model that. But I also want to be super respectful to a student. So I'm still working on that idea. Yeah, I'm going to also try to find some students. Um, Some listeners might know that I have this thing called the Kindle Classroom Project. And it's really the purpose is to allow students to have access to books that they choose to read that they want to read. Mm -hmm. And um, what I have found is that especially in middle school, as we know, students forget that they like to read and that love of reading needs to be reclaimed. And I'm hoping to find some middle school and high school students willing to tell me their story about how just by having access to books all the time and a teacher who really cares about has actually gotten them to love reading again. Mm -hmm. So maybe some students who have always loved reading and then sort of forgot, but I'm also looking for some stories of young people who are like, hey, you know, this reading thing is for me. I can't wait. I'm really excited about this month, Mark. I think uh, for all of those listening, if you know of a teacher or a parent that wants to know more about how to encourage a pleasure, a reading for pleasure, and also I'll throw in there, despite Mark, reading um, with joy. If that's something that you want to cultivate, uh, take a listen for the next couple of months because we have that in store and there are actually answers. I don't think all people are aware of that. Sometimes we say there is this big problem. And in this instance, I actually think there are answers and there have been even since an article from the 90s, like the one I think I was in middle school when your flagship article for this month came out. And um, these aren't new answers. These aren't flashy. You're not going to be hearing anything extremely shocking, uh, but hopefully very practical. Yeah. Listeners, if you have a story idea or if you want to share your thoughts about reading, definitely um, give us a call at 415-886-7475. We want to know sort of what you care about and sort of the stories that you want to hear about. Or if you are a person who knows somebody or who wants to be on the show, let us know that as well. Elementary school teachers, you have a lot that you can teach us secondary teachers as well. So if you're an elementary school teacher and you actually feel like you, you know exactly what teaching reading looks like and you think it should be continued into the 12th grade, here's your chance to share that too. So we're really hoping to hear from you as we take this one statistic and we talk to experts and we talk to students and we talk to you highlighter subscribers. So thank you so much for listening and... Enjoy the podcasts and articles. Happy listening. And happy reading. Have a good week, everybody.